Hello, and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds, released on a non-weekly basis. Episode 14, The Six Birds of Christmas. Well, hello, and let me be the first, and I am sure the only person, to wish you a very avian Christmas. That's right. It's a Bird of the Week Christmas miracle. You're welcome. Now, unlike Thanksgiving, Christmas doesn't really have a bird at the centre of the holiday, which is a major letdown, I know. If it were up to me, every holiday would be bird-themed. But there is one small corner of Christmas that has a disproportionately high number of birds, and that is the song The Twelve Days of Christmas. Growing up, this was always my favourite carol. I don't know why. Maybe it was all the birds, or maybe it's the fact that the song is just a big long list. And I do like lists. Or maybe it's because most people find it annoying, and I am contrarian by nature. Either way, I'm sure you're familiar with it. In it, a narrator tells of how their true love expresses their affection by sending increasingly elaborate and extravagant gifts over a 12-day period. Of course, if you were to pause and consider what these gifts are, I don't think any of us would ever want to receive them. That point is wonderfully made in my favourite rendition of the song by Frank Kelly, where the narrator eventually has a breakdown because of all the animals that end up roaming their house. If you've never heard it before, I've thrown a link in the show notes. Uh, Do check it out. The song itself is quite simple. It begins on the first day of Christmas, where we learn what that day's gift was, and then the song progresses with each verse beginning with the new gift, and then listing again those that were already received. There is some debate as to if each gift is sent just once, or is sent on each subsequent day, along with the new gift in an accumulative way, as the song lyrics kind of imply. Now, as much as I love fruitless speculation, and I do, for our purposes, whether the gifts are sent once or multiple times is neither here nor there. Now, there are slightly different versions of the song, but the most common one, or at least the one I grew up with, ends with the following list of gifts. Twelve drummers drumming, eleven pipers piping, ten lords a-leaping, nine ladies dancing, eight maids a-milking, seven swans a-swimming, six geese a-laying, five golden rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. Generally speaking, each of the gifts relates to either the theme of love or the feasting and celebration that happens during a holy festival. Now, of the twelve gifts, only six are bird-related, so they're the only ones we care about. Swans and geese, I think, are pretty straightforward and need no further explanation. But the other four birds are a little more curious, and one of them doesn't exist at all. So, let's break down these birds. First, a partridge in a pear tree. This may seem like an odd pairing. No pun intended. Ah, who am I kidding? I had a chance to take it out. Of course the pun's intended, just own it! This may seem like an odd pairing. Pun intended. After all, partridges don't have much to do with pear trees. In fact, they're rather disinclined to fly into trees at all, 
and spend most of their time on the ground. Although the phrase is wonderfully alliterative, and if we're honest, isn't that the only thing we care about in a song? Well, whoa up there, because the history of this song is rather long and complex. The popular version that we know today, and the one I quoted before, comes from the English composer Frederick Austin and the arrangement he published in 1909. But different versions of the song have been in circulation in English since at least 1780. And going back even further, it was originally a French folk song before it made the jump across the channel. Now, in French, partridge are called perderie. Excellent pronunciation there. That's perderie, spelt P-E-R-D-R-I-X. The leading theory is that the whole pear tree business came about as a misunderstanding and corruption of the original French. Oupeudri kind of sounds like a pear tree. And there's actually a fun story as to why partridge are called perdri in French, and it all stems from Greek mythology. Perdri was a nephew of Dedulus, he of the famous wax wings. But it turned out Dedulus was also a jealous man who could not bear to have a rival. And when Perdri proved himself to be an equally gifted inventor, Dedulus lured his nephew to the top of a tower probably with the pretense of demonstrating his wax wings. But it turned out he had more murderous intentions in mind and gave his nephew a flying lesson by pushing him off the top of the tower. Of course, Greek gods have a habit of stepping in at the last minute to mess around with the plans of mortals, literally deus ex machiana. In this case, Athena saved Perdery by turning him into a partridge, allowing him to fly to safety. And this according to the legend, is the origin of the partridge. Apparently, it's also the reason why partridge don't nest in trees and are generally disinclined to fly. It would seem that since being pushed from a high place, they have developed a touch of PTSD. So that covers the pear tree. Next, we come to two turtle doves. These birds are a little more straightforward, but are quite appropriate to the song and its theme. The turtle dove is a European pigeon. It's a small brown bird with a black and white striped patch on each side of its neck. Because of the strong pair bonds that turtle doves form, in folklore they're often used as a symbol for love and devotion. The fact that in the song it is a pair of turtle doves makes it a fitting gift and aligns with the general theme. In an interesting twist, the reason why turtle doves are called turtle doves comes from another mispronunciation. Their scientific species name is Turtur, spelt T-U-R-T-U-R, and their common name kind of morphed from that to become turtle. So they don't have anything to do with the shelled aquatic reptiles that share the same name. Next, we have three French hens, but... Just what is a French hen? Strictly speaking, it isn't really a thing, lest we count a chicken that is literally in France. Well, again, this line gives us a hint to the song's Franco roots. In some early versions, it isn't three French hens, it's three fat hens. Christmas is, after all, a time of feasting, so who wouldn't want some plump chickens at the dinner table? Appropriate gift. Of course, the Latin for hen is gallion, from which the scientific binomial name of the chicken, 
Gallus Gallus is derived. I don't know why I said of course then, like that's just common knowledge. I definitely had to look it up. Either way, that's where the scientific name for the chicken comes from. Now, the land of France, before it was called France, was known as Gaul, and the people who lived there were Gallic. It is supposed that given the French origin of the song, Gallus being a term for a chicken and Gallic being a term for the French, that through simple sound association, in English the line became three French hens. Again, more mispronunciation. It's becoming a bit of a running theme. There are, as well, specific breeds of chicken from France that were known for their deliciousness and were popular for eating at the same time the song was gaining traction in English. A breed of chicken known as the, wait for the excellent pronunciation, Brassey Galois was bred specifically for its meat and was prized on English dinner tables. You probably didn't notice, thanks to that mangled French pronunciation, that the word Gaul is even hidden in there. Galois, spelt G-A-U-L-O-I-S-E. But then, just like this song, mispronouncing things is my thing. So those are the leading theories for why we have French hens there. And finally, we come to the most intriguing bird of all, four calling birds. Is there mispronunciation going on here too? Almost certainly. Now, this probably doesn't raise alarm straight away. I know it never did for me. A calling bird sounds like a perfectly legitimate bird. And there is certainly no shortage of birds which are renowned for the songs they sing. However, there is no such thing as a calling bird. There is no bird anywhere that has that name. They are not a thing. But maybe it's a colloquial or historical or folk name for some bird that has just fallen out of favour. Well, maybe, but again, no, not as far as I can work out. But if we trace back the origin of this line in the song, we will find that it wasn't used at all until 1909, again when Frederick Austin published his popular version. Before then, this line had a habit of changing a lot. Sometimes it would be a coloured bird, a collared bird, a curly bird, a collie bird, or some version thereof. Most often though, it was a collie bird. Why Austin made the change? No one knows. It's possible he just misheard the line and wrote down calling bird and it has stuck ever since. So, okay, it was originally a collie bird, but what the hell is that? Again, collie bird is not the name of any bird at least we have finally got to the folk name of a real bird. Here, collie is kind of a derivative of the word coal, that black thing we dig out of the ground and burn in our power plants. A coal bird. And now, maybe we can start to guess that a collie bird is just old-timey folk slang for a blackbird. A plain and simple European blackbird. Why they would make a good gift? Uh, reasons that are too obvious and numerous to point out. Blackbirds do have a bit of vocal range on them and make quite cheerful chirping noises. So maybe getting dubbed a calling bird isn't all that inappropriate with a Austin knew what he was doing or not. 
Either way, the next time you hear the 12 days of Christmas, you'll know a little something extra about the birds that feature in the song and why they're there in the first place. And that, dear listener, brings us to the close of 2021. But don't worry, Bird of the Week will be back next year. I've got more bird stories to tell you than I could possibly ever do in a lifetime, and I'm finding more all the time. So I'll be back with more, and maybe a few friends will pop in to say hello along the way. I hope you'll join me then. But until then, let me once again wish you a very avian Christmas. Is one bird, however often I release this podcast, not enough for you? Then I've got some good news. If you'd like a bird to appear in your inbox every week, simply send an email to weekly.bird at outlook.com and I'll add you to the Bird of the Week mailing list. No ads, no subscriber fees, just beautiful birds flying at you each and every week. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week. There is a theory that in the original French, the five golden rings were once birds as well. After all, that would fit better with the theme of the first seven gifts, which are otherwise all avian. The theory is that the rings were either ring-necked pheasants, which would match with the feasting theme, or goldfinches, which were popular cage birds at the time. But all the English versions I've seen use golden rings, so let's just ignore that.